0: Hello, and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Monday, March 13th, 2023. I'm Mike Cachopoli. All right, here we go. The start of a new week. The start of a new week. I'm going to give a couple of early thumbs up for the beginning of a new week. And as we speak, a new, a new storm. This has been relentless here on the West Coast. It's been relentless here on the West Coast. Storm after storm after storm after storm after storm. And another one's coming in. Another storm. I remember the last time we had a storm here, my Wi-Fi was all screwed up. So hopefully it doesn't – tonight's not bad. It's just a vanguard. But tomorrow, ooh, tomorrow's supposed to be another deluge. They call it um, a couple of different things. They call it the Pineapple Express. And they also call it uh, the um, – uh, was a hydraulic, what do you call that? The, I, well, I call it the pineapple express, where it comes from Hawaii. It's basically just, it's a stream of, it's a stream of precipitation that comes from Hawaii and it just goes right into California. It smashes right into California. Um, so that's what's happening now. So that's, we have, we've had about 30 of these. I've never, been, I've been here for what, like 11 years now, 10, 11 years. I've never seen a winter with so many high wind warnings. We've had at least 10 maybe 15 high wind warnings this winter. It's been incredible, An incredible amount of water. The drought's gone. I don't know what the environmentalists are going to complain about now. Too much rain, floods. Yeah, they'll go from, so they went from too dry, it's too dry, we're all going to die of thirst, to now this we're all going to get die of mudslides. So it's, it's one thing or the other with these people. They can't make up their mind. How the world's going to end because of drought, famine, or uh, too much water. Uh, who knows? These people are insane. But see, this is called cyclical. The weather is cyclical. There'll be periods where it's dry, periods where it's drought, periods where there's feast, periods where there's famine, periods where there's rain, periods where there's snow, periods where it's cold. That's what it's, it's called—the cycle, the cycle of life. That's what it's called. But the 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 climate change nutballs just can't seem to get it. Um, did you watch the Oscars yesterday? I did. I always watch the Oscars. I always watch the Oscars. I was hoping for a slap. There was no slap. I was hoping it would upgrade to a punch or knifing. No, I'm just kidding. But it, there was nothing there. It was. It was. I thought the, the 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 Oscars were milk toast. I thought there were a couple of. I thought Jimmy Kimmel had a couple of funny lines. I thought there were a couple of woke lines. Uh, you know, the woke lines uh, that were kind of stupid. But they always had to get a few woke lines in there. But it wasn't that bad. It wasn't as political as usual. Wait till next year's Oscars. Wait till the Oscars that happened in March of 2024 in the middle of an election season. Then, then you'll see politics. Then it'll be three and a half hours, four hours of absolute torture of dumb, woke virtue signaling left-wing politics. But this is what I, every time I watch these events, like the Oscars, what I realize is what the left thinks is troubling people. Like they give these speeches. They're kind of vague. Like, We'll come out of this. We'll come out of this. I know we'll come on. Well, I'm optimistic. We'll come out of this and we'll be better for it. And you're wondering, what are we going to come out of? You mean wokeness? They're not talking about that. Not talking about that. You mean like authoritarianism from the left-wing government? They're not not talking about that. You mean like immigration policy where the immigrants are flooding our cities? They're not talking about that. So what is the left talking about when they say we're going to come out of this? So what I'm realizing is what the left thinks haunts and troubles people is not what really haunts and troubles the masses. The left wing never seems to... The Hollywood left especially doesn't seem to... What haunts and troubles them in their nightmares that they make movies about Doesn't isn't what troubles the 99% of the country. That's the thing. So what are they talking about? We're going to come out of what? I thought Trump hasn't been president for two 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 and a half years now. So what are, they should be happy. What are they talking... Come out of what? I don't understand. Their, their, their savior... Joe Biden's been president for two and a half years now. What's the trouble? Aren't we in great shape? What are they complaining about? Why is there any darkness in Hollywood at all? I, I, I don't get it. I don't know. But that's what you can understand. That Hollywood, what troubles the Hollywood left, isn't what troubles everyone else. That's what it comes down to what troubles the Hollywood left isn't what troubles everyone else. Their, their 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 troubles are a lot different than our troubles okay but yeah I, I thought overall it was okay it was three hours and 35 minutes you know uh, people complain that movies that no one sees wins everything and that's true but that's been true for actually a long time remember i remember 1982 well people did see gandhi but i think et was a much more popular film than gandhi and gandhi beat E.T. out i remember i was this was 1982 and i cried i was like i want et to win you know, but and Gandhi won. I still think ET is a better film. But anyway, um, it, it it's, it's it's very rarely the most popular films that win the big box office films that win. I know I know a lot of conservatives wanted uh, wanted Top Gun to win, but Top Gun wasn't going to win Best Pictures. Lucky it got nominated. They nominated Top Gun simply because, even though I think it's a great movie, um, I think it's one of the year's ten best films. I I, I they nominated Top Gun because it it brought boxed it brought people back to movie theaters. And they, at least they recognized that and they, they appreciated that, but there wasn't going to win any major awards. I mean, the whole night was everything, every, every everywhere, everything, everywhere all at once and uh, all quiet on the West Western front. And I haven't seen all quiet. Um, I will. Um, it's a German film, it won best uh, foreign film, um, but everything everywhere all at once, won seven and, and won best pictures. So that was the big winner. And it's a, uh, I really hope, you know, I, I remember there was a time not too long ago when I had um, Asian people I knew who were in the business and they complained that Asians don't get any business. They don't get any jobs in Hollywood. They can't get any acting jobs. They can't get any directing jobs. They can't get any jo- They can't get any directing jobs. And of course, what we've, what we've seen in the last four years is 1920, 20, In the last four years Asian films have won Best Picture twice out of the last four years, right? Two times out of the last four years, right? There was uh, this one, and there was uh, Parasite, right? That also won Best Picture. So, you know, it's like they're, now they're winning a lot of awards. Asians are winning a lot of awards, not just winning a lot of awards, but they're getting a lot of jobs. Almost every film I see now has at least one Asian actor. Sometimes it doesn't even make sense. Sometimes you're thinking, why is there an Asian actor cast in this? It doesn't even make sense. They're doing it just to do it. This is part of the whole thing. I don't want to get into this too deeply now, but this whole idea of equality, equality well what's equality what's the population let's just take asians forget about san francisco where it's the dominant race but overall in the country in this country the united states where these films are made what's the overall percentage of asians that are the population it's very tiny it's huge they're one of the smallest populations so let's say the asians make up three percent of the national population why should they make up more than three percent of the jobs in hollywood why doesn't make any sense. If you want equality, that's equality, right? If you're 30% of the nation, you should make up 30. That's what that's what I consider equality. Not because you only because you're a minority and you make up 3% of the population, you should get 99% of the jobs. You should, you you should represent 99% of Hollywood. That makes no fucking sense. Once again, when it comes to this idea of equality, which you will find more and more with groups who scream, "We want equality." They don't want equality. They want superiority. They want superiority. They want days, months named after them. They want parades. They want this special thing. They want that special thing. They want laws that are special. They want special. So what I want in general from the Hollywood left and a lot of people who believe in this equality is just be, be honest about it. Say we want special treatment. It's okay. Say it. We want better. Spe- we feel we have, have not been treated well, so we want special treatment now. But they won't say that because they know most people wouldn't agree with that statement. So they say equality and everyone says, yes, we agree with equality. But then when you think about it, you go, okay, well, you make up 3% of the population. So you're going to get 3% of the acting gigs. No, 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 no. What what do you mean? No, that's equality procreate more, become a bigger percentage of the country if you want. But no, they want special treatment. They want special treatment. They've always said things like, well, Caucasians make up 32%, but they get 58%. Well, okay, you're right, fine. But don't say because you make up 3% of the population, you should get 90% of the jobs now. So I'm hoping that calms down because it wasn't too long ago. I was taking acting courses six, seven years ago. I remember my instructor who was Asian said to me, we can't get in the business. We can't get jobs. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know if that's true. It's certainly not true now. Every TV show has at least one Asian actor. Which, once again, we talk about the percentage of the population doesn't really make much sense. It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't um, reflect the population numbers. It's much more than the population numbers. So no more complaining about this. And like I said, now, two of the last four or five years, an Asian film, one that was actually an Asian film, Parasite, won Best Picture. So two of them now in the last five years. So and I like And I look and I'm not even saying they didn't deserve it. I loved Parasite. I loved everything everywhere all at once. I'm just saying, when there's got to be a time when we stop complaining. When people stop complaining and they go, okay, we've arrived, we're good. But it seems like that never happens. And then you'll get these weird things where, like, one one race, one uh, oppressed race trumps the other. Like, well, you gave it to an Asian. Why didn't you give it to a black instead of an Asian? What was this whole thing about, uh, about what's her name, from... Uh, wakanda she was mad that jamie lee curtis won best actress best supporting actress i I don't understand that whole thing why was she supposed to win was angela bassett supposed to win didn't she win for what's love got through didn't she win best actress for playing what's her name tina turner how many awards does she need jamie lee curtis is almost 70 she's never won an award she's done a lot of great things she's been into hollywood forever she's the freaking scream queen she deserved it she was great in that film I don't get this. I don't understand this pettiness. How long have you been a, what are you looking at? Four feet, sir. What is that? Would you write Gator? Gator's writing in the, in the, uh, I'm reading a little bit of the, uh, text here. How long, uh, the messages. How long have you been a robber? For four feet six, sir. Jolly good. Jolly good. Is that, is that British humor? You, you have to come on later and tell it because I'm sure it's funnier if you tell it. So you can come on in a while and tell your joke if you want uh and I don't think jo- the jokes wor- jokes don't work that well written down you have to actually deliver them its oh time bandits yeah, I remember the movie time bandits absolutely long time ago oh another funny thing before I get onto to real news the um there were some a a lot of interesting um storylines in the Oscars with the winners. You got Harrison Ford, right? Harrison Ford was presenting the award for best picture and everything everywhere with Quan, who won best supporting actor, who was the little kid in in Indiana Jones, right? And they hugged and all that, there's that. But there's also a storyline I didn't realize. I didn't realize that, I knew Brendan Fraser was in one of my favorite guilty pleasures and see no man. I didn't realize Quan who won best supporting actor was also in and see no man in 1992. Someone put up, a, a friend of mine put up a photo of the two of them in the film, a, a shot with Brendan Fraser shaking his hand. And it all comes full circle 30 years later. 30 years later, they both win Oscars. And they both had similar, I guess, storylines career-wise where they just kind of went away and now have come back. Both of them. So both of them had this resurgence. and They both won Oscars. And they were both in Encino Man. Then you got Harrison Ford, who was Indiana Jones. and Interesting, interesting storylines. Interesting storylines. It's a small world. It's a small world after all. It's a small... Okay. One more thing. You know, I don't know what's wrong with Does anyone have a problem with Chinese food when it comes to, like, being very thirsty after you eat Chinese food? Because I decided to do this thing which I had done before. Once I went to an Oscar party, and it was very – back then, but it wasn't at the Dolby Theater. It was at the Man's Chinese Theater, Groman's Chinese Theater. So I went to an Oscar party, very clever, where they had like a Chinese food buffet. So I said to my roommate, why don't we get Chinese food? Even though it's not at the Chinese Theater anymore, let's do it anyway. And I loved it. It's great Chinese food. You can get great Asian food here in San Francisco, of course. But I get, it's so salty. It's incredibly salt. I had to drink water. It's, I, this is 24 hours later, and I'm still thirsty. I mean, the sodium is like through the friggin' roof. Remember when MSG was the big thing? People would go into Chinese restaurants and say, no MSG. And they would say, oh, yeah, no MSG. And then they go in the kitchen and they are like these fucking idiot Americans with their MSG. That was so big for a while. Now you don't even hear about MSG anymore. What is it? What was MSG? I know MSG is Madison Square Garden. It was some kind of an additive that supposedly gave you a headache or something. But the sodium gives you a fucking headache. So what's the difference? Maybe Daniel can come on later and tell us about MSG. Maybe, Dan- Daniel, have you done gain-of-function? <laughs> Sorry. Has anyone <laughs> done gain-of-function with MSG? Oh, my God. I laugh I laugh, so I don't cry. I laugh so I don't cry. We laugh so we don't cry. Oh, okay. Some interesting things have happened. I'm interested. How many of you can't wait till I read The Treason of the Science journals? Which I've been promoting for three weeks now, uh, but Anthony Fauci, which I will read a little bit of. But so many things have happened over the last forty-eight hours. Oh, well, there is more on the SVB bank, and evidently everyone's been paid. Everyone was paid today. Everyone got their money. Uh, so it's like nothing happened, right? Nothing bad happened. Everyone got their money somehow. The money grows on trees. The, tr- the money tree made sure those people got their money, and there'll be no there'll be no blowback from this. It'll be fine. Everything's fine. Just listen to that asshole Jim Kramer. That G- you know do you know Jim Kramer is? Jim Kramer is like the Tony Fauci of Financial Advisors. That's what Jim Kramer is. He's the Tony Fauci of Financial Advisors. And it makes sense because he was totally for lockdowns. He was a total COVID freak, the total branch Covidian, nut job. You know, there all these tough guys who scream was, wasn't that his big thing, Jim Kramer, where he goes on TV and he screams, I'm telling you to buy this stock. Trav sell that stock tough guy who screams at you is afraid of a fucking cold all the big tough guys jim kramer the ones who who perceive themselves as tough Uh, you know uh uh, uh, howard stern uh, fuck the fcc find me oh i'm afraid of a cold though i'm afraid of getting a cold incredible absolutely incredible so um jim kramer yeah another one take advice from jim kramer Take advice from Jim Cramer, you lose all your money, lose everything, lose every penny, and they're not responsible. These people. This thing about financial advisors—you can't sue them. They're just like big pharma. You can they can give you bad advice and destroy you, and you can't sue them. You can't do anything. This is just advice. This is disclaimer. Claim, disclaimer. This is just advice. Well, why the fuck are they on there for? I put some money in the game. Let's see if these people give this kind of advice. If they—if they do these jobs where they make a lot of money, if they actually could be sued. If there was some skin in the fucking game for them. Don't sell it. Sell it, you, idiot. Sell that stock. Sell it. Jesus. What have we become? What have we become? Okay. The real important thing that happened, and this is for Gator and others, and I know you'll come on, you'll attack me. Not attack me. You know, no one attacks me. I do the attacking. But uh, you'll come on and you'll criticize this. But Tucker Carlson did this great thing. I don't know if anybody watched Tucker today or on his feed on Twitter. But they sent all of the Demo- they sent all the Republican presidential candidates, the ones who have already applied and the ones who probably will or might, six questions about Ukraine, a Ukraine questionnaire. And several of them answered. And most important, I don't really need to read you Donald Trump's cuz we kind of know where Trump stands on this, right? Um although his bullshit of I'm the only one who can going to, you know, this you He's getting me upset again, Donald Trump. He's starting to annoy me. And once DeSantis is officially in, by the way, we know Ron DeSantis is unofficially in. He's in. He went to he went to Iowa on his book tour. Who the hell goes to Iowa on a book tour? And New Hampshire's next. So we know he's in. Like I said, May or June, it looks like it could be May now, where he'll announce. But uh, once he's in officially, I'm going to hate Trump even more. I'll try not to make this a Trump derangement syndrome show because I don't believe in that. But... Uh, you know, half the time I can I can agree with Donald Trump and what he says about Ukraine. But then when he says things like I'm the only one who can avoid World War Three, it's like you, I want to kick him in the head, you know, and then he'll say something stupid about DeSantis. You know, we'll go into that in a second. He's so desperate. He's so afraid of Ron DeSantis that he's trying to he said today that Charlie Crist was a better was a better governor. I mean, once again, as John Ziegler wrote today, once it was once it came out, that Trump said that Charlie Crist was a great governor and Florida was in great shape before. It's like in any normal non-clown car world, a Republican running for president and saying Charlie Crist was a better governor than Ron DeSantis or than a Democrat like Charlie Crist was a good governor, that would disqualify them from a Republican primary, but not, not one with this Trump derangement syndrome involved. Because as I've said, this Trump derangement syndrome of the left-wing kind and the right-wing kind. And we know what the left-wing kind is like. We've seen that enough with COVID and such. But the right-wing kind is just that. He can say the dumbest fucking things, and they love it. The dumbest fucking things, and there's no no price to pay. So half the time he says these great things that make sense policy-wise, and the other half the time he says these idiotic things which show he's so insecure and such a fucking dick that is problematic. But Florida Governor Ronda – because there's been a lot of talk on this show from Trump supporters – or people who you know who who dislike the the military industrial complex. No, DeSantis is a neocon. No, no, usual neocon. Jeb Bush, neocon. Like like Trump's trying to, you know, position him as a big neocon. But here's his response. And I said, I told you folks this that I saw him about two weeks ago respond to a Ukraine question, and he pretty much said we shouldn't be giving them all that money. Well, here are his official answers. Now the the questions Tucker posted. Um, I think are on – and I can just read the responses and you'll know what the – it what the, doesn't really matter what the questions were. But here, here's Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' questions, answers. While the U.S. has many vital national interests, securing our borders, addressing the crisis of readiness with our military, achieving energy security and independence, and checking the economic, cultural, and military power of the Chinese Communist Party, becoming further entangled in a territorial dispute between Ukraine and Russia is not one of them. The Biden administration's virtual blank check funding for this conflict for as long as it takes without any defined objectives or accountability distracts from our country's most pressing challenges. Without question, peace should be the objective. The U.S. should not provide assistance that could require the deployment of American troops or enable Ukraine to engage in offensive operations beyond its borders. F-16s and long-range missiles should therefore be off the table. These these moves would risk explicitly drawing the United States into the conflict and drawing us close to a hot war between the world's two largest nuclear powers. The risk is unacceptable. Now, a policy of regime change in Russia, no doubt popular among the D.C. foreign policy interventionists, would greatly increase the stakes of the conflict, making the use of nuclear weapons much more likely. Such a policy would neither stop the death and destruction of the war nor produce a pro-American Madisonian constitutionalist in the Kremlin. History indicates that Putin's successor in this hypothetical would likely be even more ruthless. The cost to achieve such a dubious outcome could be astronomical. The Biden administration's policies have driven Russia into a de facto alliance with China. Because China is not and will not abide by the embargo, Russia has increased its foreign revenues while China benefits from cheaper fuel. Coupled this... With intentional depletion of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and support for the left's Green New Deal, Biden has further empowered Russia's energy-dominated economy and Putin's war machine at America's expense. Our citizens are also entitled to know how the billions of U.S. taxpayer dollars are being utilized in Ukraine. We cannot prioritize intervention in an escalating foreign war over the defense of our own homeland, especially as tens of thousands of Americans are dying every year from narcotics smuggled across our open border and our weapons arsenal critical for our own security, are rapidly being depleted. So to say he's a very pro-war, neocon, rah, 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 defend Ukraine at all costs, defeat Russia, whatever it takes kind of guy is wrong. It's wrong. And if you look at the responses from just about every, I think maybe except um, except Pence. um, yes. Pence is the one who is the most pro-war here, from what I see. But other than that, if you're talking about Noam and, and Ramaswamy and Trump and DeSantis, it's, uh, and, and even Abbott, they're, they're all, all of them, all of them are basically against what we're doing now in, the, in Ukraine, much more so than you'll see any politician, any, any Republican or Democratic politician out there right now, except maybe who Rand Paul and a few others. So this idea, I think, is wrong about Ron DeSantis. I really do. I think Ron DeSantis is much more of a, of a non-interventionist America first kind of a guy. And it makes sense being the governor of a state of Florida, right, where this kind of thing really wasn't, isn't uh, in his top priority. It's never been uh, a priority there, obviously. So I think he's more about, you know, the national economy, the infrastructure here, um, and Americans, uh, America first. And this really proves that. This really proves that now, once again, you can read all of these and I could go through them quickly or go through some things. But if you want a, an opposing view of that, for those who, who who love Ukraine and want to defeat Putin, you can look at Mike Pence. Um is, is, is opposing Russia and Ukraine a vital American national strategic interest? When the United States supports Ukraine in their fight against Putin, we follow the Reagan doctrine and we support those who fight our enemies on their shores, so we want to fight them ourselves. There is no room for Putin apologists in the Republican Party. This is not America's war, but if Putin is not stopped and the sovereign nation of Ukraine is not restored quickly, he will continue to move toward our NATO allies, and America would then be called upon to send our own. See, this is more bullshit. This is more rah-rah, neocon bullshit from a very, very establishment Republican like Mike Pence, right, who, who repeats this bullshit line they always give about we, they fight them so we don't have to fight them. Well, when, they get, when we get to World War III, are we fighting them, Mike? What happens then, Mike? Are we, are we, are we in that fight then? Um, and, and to say this ridiculous nonsense that there's no room for Putin apologists in the Republican Party is ridiculous. That's once again saying if you're against this If you're against giving Ukraine $25 billion, if you're against giving Ukraine everything, all of our weapons, all of our money, everything, and creating World War III, possibly getting into World War III with China getting involved, that you're a Putin apologist. This is nothing more than the left saying you're a Putin apologist, right? So when the right says it, okay? It's it's no less hypocritical than when the left says it, right? Oh, you're a Putin apologist. You don't agree with us. We're calling you a national. We're calling you a terrorist. We're calling you a Putin apologist. So it's bullshit when the left does it, and it's also bullshit when the right does it, and it's bullshit when Mike Pence does it. So here, this is more, this is more in line with the neocon right. Mike Pence's answers are more. Inco- so we're seeing he's trying to carve out the neocon right. Right. And, 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 uh, everyone else is sort of on the other side. So maybe Mike Pence is thinking, I can, I can carve out my own little niche while everyone else is going towards America first. I'll go towards, you know, the, 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 the military industrial complex and get those. How many of those Republicans still exist though? That's, I don't know. It's dwindling. It's ever, it's ever dwindling. It's ever dwindling. You know, so, um, that's basically, uh, What's happened You can go and read. If you go on on, on Tucker's feed on on Twitter, you'll see that uh, all the all the responses that were given and the and the people like John Bolton. Is John Bolton really going to run for fucking president? What what chance does John Bolton have? Yeah, would you say Murphy? Mike Pence thinks the Russia U.S. is still at war with the Crimson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mike Pence is a, is a He's either a very tip, typical establishment Republican, or he's just sees the way the field is panning out, and that he's going to try to carve the niche of that of the of the old establishment neocon, you know, war machine Republican Party, and hope to win the primary that way, if he gets in, and everything. Everyone else is going to split the vote of all the other. I don't know. I mean, but once again, I think there's a lot of bullshit in his answer, and uh, and I think Ron DeSantis's answer was perfectly fine. I, and I think it's in line with what a lot of us think, and, uh, and I, I think that – I don't think a Ron DeSantis presidency would be about getting into wars. I think a Ron DeSantis presidency would be America first and dealing with what we have to deal with here. And I think that's perfectly suitable for someone who's the governor of Florida. I think that's what he's, he's coming at from that perspective. Uh, but I also think he'll be able to make decisions better than Joe Biden and Donald Trump. I think he'll be more clear minded than Donald Trump and a lot quicker uh, and less pussyfooting around than, than Joe Biden. So I think, I think that's also the case there. Um, I saw an interview with uh, a great interview with Ron DeSantis and Brian Kilmeade on Fox with the two played catch um, in where Ron DeSantis played baseball when he was a kid in some par in some um, baseball field. And, uh, Kilmeade uh, told him, but you know, said, "Look, Trump is calling you these names," and DeSantis just kind of laughed it off and said, "Well, people can call me any name I want, whatever names you want. But when you have a history like I have, when you have accomplishments like I have, when you've done what I've done in the state of Florida, it doesn't matter what names you call me. I stand on my record. I stand on what I've done to Florida. I, I, I went from winning thirty thousand by thirty thousand votes to one and a half million votes in four years' time. I'll stand on that. And this is a very, very smart thing we're seeing from Ron DeSantis, and we've seen this." Throughout this, and we'll continue to see this. DeSantis saw. DeSantis is a learner. He learns. I'm going to play a clip where he's talking to Glenn Beck about his COVID policy in a second. Uh, And then also a great RFK Jr. clip about Tony Fauci and his gain of function research for the last two decades. Um, But uh, DeSantis saw what happened in 2016. He saw what happened when all these other candidates like Marco Rubio and Chris Christie and Jeb Bush tried to out-Trump Trump, Trump, tried to get him back, try to do to him what he was doing to them, and it fell totally flat. You know, it's like um, me trying – it's like if there was a great stand-up comic, right, and he's throwing out one-liners and people try to match that, right, try to match the one line, try to be as funny as the really good stand-up comic. They wouldn't be able to do it. And they couldn't do it with Trump. That Everything they did would fall flat. That Their punches wouldn't land and his punches would. So DeSantis saw that. So he's not going to try to do that. What he's going to do is he's going to laugh him off. He's just simply going to laugh off his bullshit and come at him with facts, with accomplishments, which I think is a much smarter thing to do. Laugh off the stand-up comic. Laugh at what he says. Who cares? Who cares? This is his shtick. We're going to laugh at his shtick. But I'm going to come at you with facts, all right? I'm going to come at you with my accomplishments over the last four years. I'm going to come at you with the fact that I've been able to get Republicans and Democrats and liberals and conservatives and progressives and Latinos and whites and blacks to vote for me in simply four years' time, winning over people who never voted for Republican before. And, and I was able to have the foresight to see what to do with covid to come out on the other side much better than all these other governors. That's what I'm going to do. And also I had much more foresight and do the right thing when Donald Trump was doing the wrong thing for a year and putting Tony Fauci. You hate Tony Fauci? Hey Republicans, you hate Tony Fauci? Donald Trump put him there. You hate the vaccine? That's Donald Trump. He's going to use this all against him. Operation Warp Speed, he's still praising it. Do you do you praise it? He's going to get him. He's going to get him good and his the strategy is brilliant. And Donald Trump's strategy by the way, which is the only strategy he knows. But when you start saying stupid fucking things, like when you you start making such ridiculous stretches, like Charlie Chris, Democrat governor, Charlie Chris was a better governor. He's why Florida's in good shape. Uh, They better get you. They better get a different strategy because that strategy is not going to work very long. Okay. Um, well, you know RFK Junior.'s problem, and you'll see it, you'll hear it in the clip. Is the voice? The voice is tough. You know. By the way, Greg Abbott. By the way, I'm not being I'm not being a mean person. Greg Abbott's not gonna. I, I can't see Greg Abbott running for president. This is not 1938. You're not gonna win. You're not gonna win this media day and age in a wheelchair. It's not a president. A guy in a wheelchair is not gonna become president. They can become governor of Texas. He's not gonna be elected president. We're too there's too much into look there's too much into visuals in this country now. I mean, God, look at night. Look at the debate in 1960 between Kennedy and Nixon. And that was 1960. I mean, things are so much worse now when it comes to superficial stuff. But uh, remember, Nixon was sweating and Kennedy wasn't. And that was a big thing. In 1938, a guy in a wheelchair could. And remember, a lot of that also, if you look at some of the video of the media would often when you saw uh, FDR, in the 30s, and even when he was president, they didn't show him in the wheelchair. In other words, the media was like not showing him in the wheelchair. The media was like almost like his PR person in the way they would not show him in a wheelchair. They tried to. They they felt that wasn't presidential, so they would show him at a desk. You would very rarely see a shot of FDR in a wheelchair. And uh, nowadays, it's different, of course. Every almost every shot I see of Abbott, he's in a wheelchair. The media is not going to cover for that anymore. And it's just it's it's a different time. He can't win. First of all, he doesn't. I don't. I, I like Abbott. I like Abbott. Hey, at that, but I don't think he's on the same level as Ron DeSantis. So, um, and I don't think he has the accomplishments in Texas that DeSantis has in Florida. But there's that. There's that. Just like Chris Christie couldn't win, he's too fat. And he, he, that's don't you see that when they run for president, they lose weight now, right? We've seen it. We see it over and over again, right? We've seen these people. They, they, like like Pompeo. He lost a ton of weight. He's probably going to run. DeSantis lost weight. He's going. They all know now. You know, eighty years ago they wouldn't have bothered to lose weight, but now they know you have to. For a couple of reasons, visual, superficial reasons, and also because uh, it's a grind now. It's a physical grind. These campaigns. Look, they start. They start a year, and a, two years ahead of time. They're a real physical grind. So you have to be in better shape now. Than you had to be, you know, 80, 90 years ago. So there's all of that. But what I want to get to, and if you want to call in and uh, and, and and talk about everything, F- Daniel says FDR was a disabled. A disabled. Yes. Yes, yes. Um, once again, that joke probably works better if you say it. Although Daniel maybe not. I don't know. All right, so let's see, let's see. What I want to go to next, I want to go to DeSantis. Do I want to go to RFK? Let me play the DeSantis one first, and then we'll play the RFK. But this was Ron DeSantis on the Glenn Beck show, talking about his uh, said, well, this is kind of j- his um, COVID lockdowns and his his thoughts regarding uh, <laughs> regarding, <laughs> regarding regarding COVID and how he approached COVID, how he approached everything. And then I'll give my thoughts. Okay, here we go.
1: Terrifying when she said, "Well, this is kind of just our little science experiment." Very much so. Can I you mean, can you tell that story? So the, the white the White House task force was hammering me for like the first like really like three months because they wanted me to be uh, you know clamping down harder and um and and, and she, you know so and she was so I so I Deborah just tell me when in American history, model has this been done and what were the results? Because, like, I kind of feel like, you know, we're flying blind here and we may be doing things that would be damaging. And as she said, she's like, you know, it's kind of our own science experiment that we're doing in real time. And that didn't sit well with me. I mean, you know, you're a citizen of a republic. You're not a guinea pig. And so uh, I think that that – there's a whole bunch of other things I talk about in the book. You remember the um, George Floyd riots and epidemiologists because people were saying – You've been telling people you have to stay in your home. And like in Florida, they were killing us because even in those early days, you know, when we were following federal guidelines loosely, but we were following some, we were playing golf. I mean, the villages, they're they're setting record for golf. People are boating, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. They were so mad at Florida for doing that. People on the beach, all this stuff. That was their position. You are killing people if you leave your house. So then all these people are like thousands of people are protesting. Two thousand of these epidemiologists write a letter saying, we do not condemn these protests uh, because of COVID. Indeed, we think they're vital for public health right. because they're fighting racism. It's a bigger disease than COVID, <laughs> and so that's that's when I knew: is this this public health this public health uh, a, a clan of people they are sick. I mean, they are they are ideologically captured, and these are not people that should be anywhere near the levers of power. So I basically, from that point on, I would exclusively listen to a very handful of people. You know, Bhattacharya from Stanford, Martin Kaldor from Harvard, Scott Atlas, uh, Sinetra Gupta from Oxford, and then my Surgeon General, Joe Latipo, we brought in from UCLA. Right, yeah. Great.
0: <laughs> okay, so that's fantastic right there and totally right, 100% right. right. And I thought about that. This is what I thought about very early on in that in COVID in in 2020, which was this idea. And and they admitted to him, they said, No, this is an experiment. No, it's an experiment. So hiding, hiding from in 20 in the year 2020. Their idea was you hide from a virus that will go away. Think about that you hide, you lock everything down, you hide from a virus, you don't go to the beach. You, you, you just stay inside and the virus like the boogeyman will go away is incredibly, I always thought, and of course I, I was proven right. that is an incredibly archaic Neanderthal anti-science way of thinking. It's like it's like it's like the way scientists in the 16th century would handle it. Let's just hi- we hide and it goes away. Yes, we hide and it goes away. There was, no sci- there was no actual medicine or science that told us that was the case, that that's ever worked before, that that's the way you handle this. That is an incredibly medieval way of doing medicine. It's the same as throwing a virgin to a volcano to make it stop. It's the same as doing a dance to make it rain. Let's stay inside. Let's lock ourselves in the closet and the virus will disappear. Is was I always thought that was such total bullshit. And of course, I'm right, and I'm proven right when they say, "Oh no, we didn't know. We nah, it was an experiment." And as the Santa said, "I was this, you, you. You're the American people. This is the constitutional republic. You're not guinea pigs. You're not guinea pigs to be for these crazy scientists to do their little experiments on." And that's what was happening. That's what's happening. Fauci, even today, someone pointed out today, and I, I know I've made this point before, but Fauci's a lying sociopath. He's an evil sociopath. I, I even psychopath. Can you be a, hey, can you be a sociopath and a psychopath at the same time? Maybe you can because that's what he is, but he's also incredibly dumb. And he was on with Jim Acosta, who, of course, you know, always going to give a very hard-hitting interview. <clears throat> and uh, he had mentioned, I don't know why they're going to arrest me. I We're going to get to why they want to arrest him in a second. He knows why they want to arrest him. He knows why he needs to be indicted. And Robert F. Kennedy will tell us, Junior, in a, in a minute here, why he should be indicted. But he said, and then he said the whole thing about the lab leak. He goes, well, yeah, it was a bat and a bat and a bear got to get, it was the most ridiculously stupid fucking thing. It was like something an eight-year-old would come up with. This guy is a moron, a total fucking moron. And look at how they listen to him. Look at what a clown call world we live in. No, it didn't come from the virus. No, no. The idea that the virus came from the Virus Institute of Wuhan is uh, so outlandish. But the idea, a bat and a bear fucked and their their offspring gave it to a human. That's, That's more likely, you fucking idiot. You moron. Ugh. But let Robert F. Kennedy, who was on with Jimmy Dore, tell you more about Tony Fauci and how this goes back Seven. A- let me <laughs> queue this up. This goes back. No, not uh, not three years, but 20 years, 20 years with Tony Fauci. I
2: was very worried about actually launching a full blown bioweapons arms race. As they said, nobody, you know, this is very sketchy. The Patriot Act, you know, exemptions are very sketchy and people don't even know about it. And so they didn't want to do it. So they took. The money that Cheney gave him, $2.2 billion, and they funneled it through NIH, and it all went through Anthony Fauci. So beginning in 2002, Anthony Fauci got a 68% raise from the Pentagon for doing bioweapons development, and he got a raise of billions of dollars a year to do it, and then he started Building, doing—that's when they started doing all this gain kind of function. And then in 2014, three of those bugs escaped in high-profile escapes from different labs in the United States. Fauci to built all these new labs at BU at Galveston to do the to do his shenanigans, and so four, or three of the bugs escaped, and they, they received publicity. They made a small smallpox and a lot of really bad things, and then. Congress held hearings on it. Everybody was angry. These bugs escaped and 300 scientists, top scientists, sent letters to Obama saying you've got to shut down Anthony Fauci because he's going to create a pandemic. And so Obama ordered a moratorium. And at that time, Fauci had 18 different uh, data function experiments he was doing around the United States. Uh, Obama ordered him to shut them all down. But he didn't. He instead moved his stuff offshore to Wuhan, where he could do it out of sight of these 300 scientists and nosy White House officials who were trying to shut him down. And they continued to do it with Ralph Barrick, the same people he was funding here, Ralph Barrick and Peter Daszak, and they moved their operations to the Wuhan lab.
0: So that, that, so that's, sorry, so that's Robert F. Kennedy talking about how this goes back over 20 years with Tony Fauci. And this is why, because as Robert Kennedy just said, this was all going on for years. This was going for 20 years. Fauci moved everything out of the United States and into Wuhan. So it was under the radar. So people didn't see it. And, and Fauci knew. And like they said, they were warning that Fauci was going to unleash this virus that was going to cause a pandemic. And that's what happened. And Fauci knew that. So he knew it. He knew he was responsible for it. So that's why you go back to January and February of 2020, where he was squelching any him and his Fauci mafia made sure in their emails between each other, they actually say it, right? We have to make sure this doesn't get out. We have to make sure this idea doesn't gain any kind of traction because he knew he had done it. So he had to find someone else. To blame, And so he blamed a bat or a bear or bears and bats fucking and their eggs and their shit or whatever the fuck he came up with. He said, oh, no, you know what Fauci did, right? He said, oh, the, you know, people think of China and dirty. So we'll blame it on dirty wet markets because he didn't want to come back to him because this is what he's been doing for the last two decades, as RFK Jr. just discussed. This is probably this is why Tony Fauci obviously should go to jail. He should go to jail for many reasons. He killed he killed thousands of gay men in the 80s pushing AZT so he can make money off it. He killed thousands of people during COVID with bad policy and because he unleashed the virus. So it doesn't matter. Even the policy is almost an afterthought once you unleash the virus. But then he added insult to injury, you see. After unleashing this virus and knowing he unleashed it, he made it even worse with his policy. And we know that's why. Why would you – why would he stop the discussion on why – why would a scientist – Let's pretend he's a scientist. He's not. Why would a scientist want to stop discussion of where this came from like the day after it happened? Why? Before it even hit the United States. Because he knew why. He had fucked up. He knows he fucked up. That's why he goes to jail. Because he's killed people. And you kill people, you go to fucking jail in this country. That's why. And of course he lied in front of Congress because with all he lied. He lied in front of Congress. You go to jail for that, too. Many reasons why he should be fucking going to jail. Not one, not two, like about 30 reasons why this old fuck should spend the rest of his days rotting in a jail fucking cell. This is also probably why RFK should run, right? Whether he can win or not, let's give thumbs up to RFK. But um, whether he can win or not, he should run. Because this stuff needs to be told not on my podcast, not on the Jimmy Dore podcast, but this should be out there. Ed should be running about this with him talking about this. He should be out there in debates talking about this. He should be out there on the campaign trail talking about this. So I think he should run. It doesn't matter if he's going to win or not. He should run just for this reason. We need someone like him running. He knows everything. He's got all the facts. He's been tracking this fuck for years now.
2: For years, why should I? I don't know why they want to indict me. I can't. I can't think of anything. I can't. That's what a
0: criminal says. What did that fucking Mr. Murder, Alex Murder, say? I would never hurt them. I would never hurt Maggie and Paul. 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 I would never hurt them because you're a psycho. Psychos lie. Killers lie. They don't say, "Yeah, I killed people." Some of them do. Very few. They always say, I know. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Which way do he go? OJ. They're all crazy. They're all psychopaths. Put them all in the same fucking jail together. Let them rot for the rest of their lives. He needs to go to jail. That is, we've talked about this before. Crime needs punishment. Crime needs punishment. So there, when there are scientists in the future, Maybe in our lifetime, maybe after our lifetime, they'll look back and they'll say, oh, that guy that did those things ended up rotting in jail for the last few years of his life. We don't want that to happen to us. They have to see there was punishment. And this is the ultimate punishment. This is what I want. I would accept this. I think about 8,000 people should go to jail, if not more. But if Fauci goes to jail, that'll be good. That'll be good. I think many of us could live with that, right? If Fauci goes to jail, as, as that being real accountability. I think so. He's the one that unleashed this shit to begin with. He's the one that unleashed all this crap. Fauci to jail. Hashtag Fauci to jail. I like the hashtag Fauci lied, millions died. Fauci lied, Fauci to jail. Well, someone just tweeted me as I talk about this. Wes King writes, Mike, simply put, Fauci is both Masonic and simultaneously serving the Jesuit mafia. He is trained and accustomed to lying openly. He is protected. He is what? He is protected by Jesuit agency up and down the line. He will face cosmic justice. He will likely escape temporal justice. Well, I hope you're wrong, Wes. I hope you're wrong. I want temporal justice. I want temporal justice. But we can do temporal, temporal, Fauci tempora. How about Fauci? <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> I make myself laugh. Do I make anyone else laugh? Uh, let's see. What else? Is- well, there's a lot. There's so much happening. There's like so much going on. There's that. Did you see that crazy thing? I don't know why you're talking about priests in the uh, on the comments section here. But anyway, I'm not following. Uh <sighs> At Stanford University, oh Stanford! We, now Stanford has a the background of Stanford is very interesting. You have people like Jay Bhattacharya who comes from Stanford, right? So that's a you have, you have you have Scott Atlas. So you have two two of the best doctors in the COVID era come from Stanford. So that's good, right? That's a good thing. But did you did, did you guys see that Stanford thing with those law students? Put students in quotes where they went crazy on this Trump-appointed judge, calling him a racist. Now, these are law students, and they wanted him shut up. They wanted him stifled. This is what we're seeing more and more in these crazy left-wing universities. These are law students. This is almost like the same as science, right? Science is about debate, not shutting up the other side when they don't agree with you. That's how we come to scientific consensus, right? Well, same thing with law. Law students are supposed to be open-minded. When you're in law school... You're supposed to want to talk about the other. you want to discuss, you want to you want to debate the other side, right? No, not anymore. Now they want to shut the other side up. But not just the students, the dean, everyone was in on this shit. where well, they invite this guy and then they shut him up. They don't want to hear the other side. They don't want to debate because they're intellectually vapid. because these kids these days, these students are intellectually vapid. They cannot debate. And so since they can't debate, They just want to shut you up because they're not smart enough to debate. They're not smart enough to debate the issues. They can't win because they're not smart enough to win. So they just want to shut you up because intellectually they're retarded because that's the way they bring – they're being brought up that to be intellectually retarded. Intellect doesn't matter anymore. That being good at something doesn't matter. We had equity, baby. You don't got to be good at anything. You don't got to be good. You'll get placed. You'll get your placement. You don't have to be good. So this is what's going to happen in this world, this shit-ball world we're all living in. Your doctor is not going to be qualified anymore. You're going to get a doctor who was placed there. Your lawyer will be placed there. Your judge will be placed there. Your airline pilot is going to be placed there. They're not going to be qualified. They're not going to be the most qualified. So when you die from the operation or your plane crashes or your country crashes, then you know Why? Then you'll know why. Because we're not getting the most qualified people anymore. Because they're intellectually vapid. They can't debate the issues. They don't want to hear the other side. They just want to get their way. Their woke virtue signaling way. Their woke virtue. Where they believe if they're black or white. And they're a liberal. They believe if you're white, you're a racist. Your racism is showing, that girl said in that class. A law student class said, your racism is showing. Well, you know what she, you know what that means? means? Because he's white, he's racist. She believes because he's white. And of course, once again, what that classroom showed is Trump derangement syndrome is alive and well in our colleges also. Because he was a Trump appointed judge. Your racism is showing. In other words, you're white, and you're you're definitely you're always. If you're white, you're racist. That's what the that's what these that's what these left left wingers who are black or white, whoever they may be, that's what a left wing believes, is that if you're white, you're racist. And it's just a matter of time before it sh- bubbles up and shows its rears its ugly head. Your racism is showing means you're always racist, but you don't always show it. But now you're showing it. Because you're white and you were appointed by Trump, so you must be a racist. Because I'm an intellectual fucking retard. I'm an intellectual moron. I'm an intellectual. We have a lot. we have a lot of these days. Intellectual morons. Intellectual morons. I would love to talk more about the SVB thing, but once again, I'm not – I don't know. It's a very odd – it's a very weird thing, right, because we talked last week. um, We talked last week about uh, bailouts, and we talked last week about who's responsible, and we talked about the $250,000 margin for the FDIC. And how they're not abiding by that margin anymore, right? That evidently those who had put more than 250K are going to be backed by the government. They're going to get their money. And you wonder why. You wonder why. That's not your that's not your typical investor. That's not your typical person with a blue-collar worker with a with a bank account, right? Where you put more than a quarter billion dollars, a quarter million dollars into the bank. But even those people are going to get their money back. So The question is, where's the money coming from? I don't, I haven't really, does anyone understand where the money is coming from? Okay. It's not a bailout, supposedly, technically. It's not coming from the taxpayers they claim. So where is that money coming from? If the bank failed. Okay. And it's not coming from us. Where is all that money coming from? Especially to cover the ones with more than a quarter million dollars in there. I don't totally understand that. But the problem is, when you do this, in my opinion, when you tell a bank, we're going to bail you out. And if you put more than a quarter million dollars into a bank and you're an investor and we're going to bail you out, what are the consequences? In other words, you can just run a shitty bank. The way this ba- Evidently, this bank was so shitty. It, it was run in such a shitty way. Like... They had someone there who would. Do, I forgot how someone put it, but it was the funniest thing. They said, so, "Oh, it was Brian Kilme." He said something like, "Yeah, they had they had someone. They had a, they had a, a a director of you know uh, of like wokeness, right? To make sure you, you you're happy with yourself, you're happy with who you are, you get to know yourself better." He said, "Yeah, people, you got you got you got those classes on how to get to t- how to get to know yourself better, how to get to know your work, your colleagues better, how to treat your colleagues. You know, racist racism." Uh, classes they had all of that they had all that taken care of all the wokeness was taken care of but they didn't have anyone there to actually count the money and to see exactly where the money was going and how much was going towards investments and so on and so forth. That's another fucked up thing here. We care about wokeness we care about HR of make sure you, you treat your colleague right make sure you don't you don't talk about the, how, how beautiful their dresses don't talk about how nice their hair is today. you can't say anything like that don't pat them on the back don't touch them don't go near them. Don't invade their space. All that we got covered. We put a lot of money into that. We got we got plenty of people here with cubicles that can deal with that, but no one who can deal with like uh, the business of the money. It's a bank and where the money's going. So what are we doing? We're just bailing out these loser companies. We're bailing out. We're saying you do whatever you want. No accountability, right? No credibility, no accountability. Do what you want. We're going to bail you out. So what's the point then? What's the point of having rules and regulations? If no matter what they do, they'll be bailed out. And then, okay, we'll even like, we'll bail you out, but we won't call it. We don't do bailouts anymore. We're going to do something else. We're going to do this, whatever this is. I don't even know what this is. I truly don't even know what this is, what they're doing. The money has gone, but now it's There. Everyone got paid yesterday. Everyone got paid today. Everyone. <laughs> Where did the money come from? Who's paying who? <sighs> I'm guessing there'll be a lot written about this over the next week or so, and we'll be able to get into more detail about exactly what's going on. But I, I don't know. I'm not an expert here. I just It doesn't sound right to me. It doesn't pass the smell test. It doesn't pass that all-important smell test. That I talk about a lot. And I'm bothered by it. That's why I put my money under my bed. <clears throat> I put my money under my bed. You put your money under your bed, you're responsible, right? That's it. No one else can do it. If there's a, if you burn your place down, you're fucked. But that's your fault, right? There's real accountability there. Put your money under your mattress. Don't let anyone else take it. Don't let anyone else put their grubby hands on it. Be responsible for your own money, and everything will be fine. Who trusts banks anymore? Who trusts them? I certainly don't. Because I know I'd put like $1,000 into a bank. It would go under, and I wouldn't get it back, right? You know that would happen. I'd put a couple of thousand dollars in the bank. Something would happen. I'd never get the fucking money bank. But the billionaire would get their money. They have no problem. They get their money back. Oh, here it is. This is what Jim Cramer wrote. Many banks did invest poorly, but most of the big banks didn't. Don't confuse those. Will the bank system be stronger today? Yes. So Dr. Eli David, another great doctor of the COVID age, wrote, for heaven's, sake, for heaven's sake, shut up, Jim. You said people should buy SVB and Signature Bank and both collapsed. You recommended First Republic Bank and it's on the verge of collapse. Shut up before you make Chase City and Bank of America collapse as well. Like I said, Jim Cramer... Is basically the Tony Fauci of financial advisors. They think they're always right, don't take their advice. Don't take their advice. But here's something that is important, I think. This was written in the public today. After this, I'll do the I'll, I'll read some of the treason of the science journals if no one's gonna call in and I'm just gonna keep fucking talking all night. Anyway, Senator Mark Kelly called for social media censorship. Listen to this. Senator Mark Kelly, Democrat, Arizona, we know him, uh, called for social media censorship to prevent bank runs. Social media censorship. During a conference call, this is good. Okay. During a conference call about the Silicon Valley Bank bailout yesterday, Senator Mark Kelly asked representatives from the Federal Reserve, Treasury Department, and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC, if they had a way to censor information. Listen to this now. To censor information on social media to prevent the run of the banks. According to Republican members of the House, of representatives were on the call. The members said there were roughly 200 people on the Zoom call, including senators, House members, and staff members from both parties. On our conference call, led by Senate President Chuck Schumer, with Fed, FDIC, and Treasury, a Democrat senator asked the three agencies if there was a program underway on social media to censor information that would lead to a bank run, run, Representative Tom Massey told the public. I believe he couched it in the concern that foreign actors would be doing this, said Massey, but he didn't suggest the censorship should be limited to foreigners or to things that were untrue. The people from the three agencies couldn't answer him and just took sort of a pass on the question. Calls to both Senator Mark Kelly's Arizona and Washington offices were not answered. Representative Lauren Boebert tweeted on a briefing with Biden Undersecretary of the Treasury Nellie Lang regarding the SVP bailout. They are working towards and a member asked if they were reaching out to Facebook and Twitter to monitor misinformation and bad actors. Republican Dan Bishop. Chairman of the Subcommittee on Oversight, Investigations, and Accountability confirmed the accounts of Massey and Bobbit and Representative Bobert's office confirmed that the member said she was referring to a Democratic senator. I have confirmed with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy it was Senator Mark Kelly who asked on last night's Zoom call where the call hosts were acting with SM platforms and on the lookout for foreign influence that might promote bank runs. Democrats say Republicans are also calling for censorship. A spokesperson for the Senate Banking Committee pointed public to a statement by House Banking Chairman Patrick McHenry, Republican in North Carolina, as the only one they knew about that mentioned social media. This was the first Twitter-fueled bank run, said McHenry. At this time, it is important to remain level-headed and look at the facts, not speculation, when assessing the right path forward. McHenry did not call for censorship, and his spokesperson told public that he in no way is advocating social media be muzzled. What's more, Kelly's call for censorship comes at a time of growing demands from Democrats, for more censorship by social media companies. Last June, the Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency subcommittee on protecting critical infrastructure from misinformation proposed adding financial information, misinformation to the portfolio of social media categories within CISA's purview to work with outside partners to censor. In December, the FTC demanded Twitter owner Elon Musk identify all journalists who had access to the Twitter file showing government agents demanding censorship. Last Wednesday, Schumer demanded that Fox News owner Murdoch stop reporting on video footage of January 6th. And last Thursday, Congressional Democrats demanded that journalist Matt Taibbi reveal his source to them. And now Democrats are opposing the Protecting Speech from Government Interference Act, which was introduced last Thursday by Republican House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer, which prevents government employees from using their official authority to influence a third party to censor speech. Why is that? Why are Democrats suddenly at war with the First Amendment? What exactly is going on? Well, I asked that question many times. I asked that question many times, and it comes down to simply the um, authoritarianism, their, their authoritarian shriek, sh- streak. They are authoritarians. They want to control everything. They want to control the narrative. They have no problem with speech when it comes to promoting their own narrative. When it comes to promoting their own narrative they don't that's fine no problem but if it's against their narrative like i said with those students at stanford when it's against their narrative then they want free speech stifled then it's dangerous then it's misinformation once again this is very simple disagreement with the democratic party is misinformation when you disagree that's misinformation and you must be shut up and and this is the scary thing, this is the scary thing. They automatically defer to miss to, to to censorship. That's their their first response, their first answer to anything is censor, right? That's the problem. That's their reflex. That's their reflex go to solution now. The Democrats, the left, censor, 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 censor. That's all they care about. That's all they care about. The Democratic Party is becoming incredibly dangerous. It's becoming incredibly dangerous. Incredibly dangerous. And incredibly un-American. But they never really, a lot of ways they never really agree with America anyway. Or the American way. Oh, before I – I do want to mention there was one – I just reminded myself when I talk about the American way. There was one great speech. Kwan, who won for Best Supporting Actor in everything – did give that great speech where he said that he was a in a, in a, in a in a refugee camp for a year when he was a kid. He came here on a boat, refugee camp. Then about four years later, he got the job. As a child, the actor in, in Indiana Jones, and look where he is now. I'm on the biggest stage in Hollywood, and this is the American dream. That was a great speech. Uh, that's the kind of speech you don't usually see at the Oscars. You don't usually see that kind of a speech at the Oscars, where someone's talking about going through the process legally, basically, basically going through the immigration process legally, and making something of yourself in this oh, in this horrible capitalist system we have here. This is the this is the American dream. This is not the Chinese dream, okay? He doesn't end up on the biggest stage in Hollywood, in China. Here it happens. Look at this guy, a kid, on a boat, refugee, and look where he is now. And he made a point of, of giving that speech, which was fantastic. And that is, talk about the American dream. We were talking about capitalism and being able to make something of yourself here. And this constant thing by the left now of like shitting on this, shitting on the American dream. Everyone, the idea that everyone is not going to live the American dream doesn't mean it doesn't exist, doesn't mean you should shit on it, simply because not everyone is going to come to full fruition. That's not, this is, once again, we don't have that kind of equality. That's not guaranteed. But that you can, that there's a channel here, there are channels here that we don't have in many other countries, is the point. That's the point. People are putting up photos of the crowd size in Davenport, Iowa. Trump was in Iowa, and they show the line of people. Line for Trump event is around the block in Davenport, Iowa. And they once again, they're posting these things as though this shows what support Trump has. What I don't understand is, when are people going to realize... That crowd size at a campaign event doesn't matter. That crowd size at campaign events don't matter. Did it matter in Sanders versus Clinton? Did it matter in Sanders versus Biden? Did it matter in Trump versus Biden? Actually, it didn't even matter in Trump. I know people saying, yeah, Trump versus Clinton. No, no, she got 3 million more votes. He got big lines. He got crowds of 30,000. Bernie got crowds of 30,000. Hillary got crowds of like 300. She won. Bernie got crowds of 30,000. Biden was in his basement. He won. Trump got crowds of 30,000. Hillary got nothing. And she won the popular vote by 3 million votes. So votes don't matter, folks. I have a vote. Votes matter, not box office. Yes, size doesn't matter. That's right. Size doesn't matter. It doesn't. Votes matter. Votes matter, not size. The quality of the sex matters, not size, Daniel. Is that what you're talking about? The quality matters over the quantity. And the quality of the candidates going to matter over the quantity. Again, these crowd sizes don't matter. People don't seem to get that. There's people with such a this visual age now where people see these huge crowds and they go, that guy's going to win. Well, no, it go, works the other way all the time. Because if you have 1 million people, at, you have a line of 1 million people, you don't know what the 5 million people who aren't online are thinking. The 5 million people in their apartments, what are they thinking? You don't know. You don't know. So I'm not too concerned that, that Trump, and I think the DeSantis will do fine. I think he'll get tons of crowds, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. (laughs) We don't win elections by crowd size. You win elections by votes and whatever it takes to get those votes by any means necessary. Right. Whether it's ballot harvesting or connections in certain places and share heads and party heads and all these, whatever it may be, having political friends in the right place, whatever it may take to win an election, it doesn't usually come down to crowd size. But we'll continue can, can to people. Know, once again, we're Americans. We don't learn from the past, even recent history. We don't learn from it. We just make the same mistakes over and over again. Let's get more jabs. Right. The proof is in the pudding. Let's get more jabs. How many jabs did you get? How many jabs did you get? Still got that mask on you. Still got that box of masks at home. Um, I should, before I forget again, and it gets too late, I should read a little bit from this tabletmag.com, Treason of the Science Journals, How Anthony Fauci Manufactured Consensus on the Origins of COVID-19 with the Help of Science Writers and the Media. Um, And you can get this at tabletmag.com. The writer is Ashley Rinsberg, and she wrote this on March 8th. You know, At the government level, pandemic preparedness is as much about protecting critical supply chains as it is about administering medical treatments. And what the COVID-19 pandemic showed us is that the flow of information, which may be the single most vital resource in the supply chain, is utterly broken. In many cases, it was actively undermined by senior public health officials, including the former chief medical advisor to their president, Dr. Tony Fauci. New emails were released in a congressional probe so that Fauci helped direct the publication of The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2, an, influent- an influential scientific paper published in Nature magazine, Nature Medicine on March 17th of 2020. They claimed COVID-19 could not have leaked from a laboratory. Fauci then cited the paper, in effect quoting himself, since he coordinated the article behind the scenes and was given final approval for it published, as if it was an independent source corroborating his assertions that COVID could have come only from a bat and not from a lab from Batman. There was a study recently that we can make available to you where a group of highly qualified, oh, this is Fauci, I should do it in Fauci's voice. There was a study recently that we can make available to you where a group of highly qualified evolutionary virologists looked at the sequences there and the sequences in bats as they evolve. Fauci said at a presidential briefing on April 7, 2020, exactly one month after Proximal Origin was published, And the mutations that it took to get to this point where it's now totally consistent with a jump of species from an animal to a human. But why would Fauci go to so much trouble to control the information surrounding the origin of the virus while sending the message to Americans at the end that COVID has come from a laboratory was a conspiracy theory? And why would science journals and peer-reviewed science publications go along with this effort? Fauci, it appears, may have been trying to hide his connections, as we've been talking about to the Wuhan Lab of Virology, known as WIV, with, for years, according to a report at the Intercept, the National Institutes of Health, where Fauci served as director, directed government grants to the Chinese facility where multiple investigations by federal agencies have now concluded the virus likely originated specifically to fund the controversial gain-of-function research that intentionally engineers deadly viruses in order to study them. If this was all merely a coincidence, it certainly looked bad. Fauci seemed so alarmed by the optics that in January of 2020, he sent an email to his deputy, Hugh Oshenschloss, with a single word, all cap subject line, important, something he does not do in the hundreds of pages of other emails released to the public via FOIA requests. The email Fauci sent contained a link to the scientific study that was then spreading across the Internet, which had originally been published in 2015, at the Wuhan Institute of Virology by WIV's Shai Zengli and Pioneer American Geophy researcher Ralph Barrick. In the body of the email, Fauci wrote to Austin Schloss, It is essential that we speak this AM. Keep your cell phone on. You will have tasks today, you will have tasks today that must be done. What were those tasks? It's impossible to know from the email, but one can speculate that if Fauci would have been wanted to control the narrative about the outbreak of COVID-19, it would have been a monumental and near impossible task. Reporters could find public records showing the connections between his office at the NIH and China's WIV. Fauci might be able to find a few journalists credulous enough to simply dismiss the fact that COVID was first reported in the city containing China's largest facility for producing coronaviruses. But surely there was no way he'd get to the entire media to go along if he had he may have revealed just how dysfunctional and bought off science journalism has become, a reality that Americans would be well advised to confront before the next pandemic. The deeper phenomenon at work, however, is that in the U.S., a large number of professionals who cover science for general readers and for news publications like the New York Times or Wall Street Journal are not and do not pretend to be journalists per se. They are science writers whose field is science communications, a, distinct, a distinction with a huge difference. They see their role as translating the lofty work of pure science for a general audience rather than as professional skeptics whose job it is to investigate the competing interest claims and billion-dollar funding streams in the messy world of all-to-human scientists. From the beginning of the pandemic, the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, and other leading mainstream outlets were taking their cues, including their facts and their seemingly unflappable certainties, from peer-reviewed publications with authoritative professional reputations like Nature, Science, and The Lancet. It was this small handful of peer-reviewed science and medical journals, and to a shocking extent, just these three on which the consumer media-based key narratives, like the idea that SARS-CoV-2, could not possibly have come from a lab boiled down the science on a given issue was conclusively reduced to whatever these journals published. But for the establishment science publishing community, the pandemic also had an unintended consequence. Through journalistic investigations offered powered by FOIA requests that ensnared hundreds of email exchanges with scientists and science writers, a spotlight was turned on science journalism itself. Writers like Paul Thacker, a contributor to the BMJ, Emily Kopp, a reporter for the Washington group U.S. Right to Know, Michael Balter, who has contributed dozens of pieces to Science Magazine, and the all-powerful centralized group of COVID investigators called Drastic exposed the inner workings of an industry that claims to speak for science but often works for political and corporate interests. In many instances, pandemic-related science journalism smacks of questionable motives. The most High-profile example of this was the now infamous letter by 27 scientists published in The Lancet on March 7th, 2020, asserting that they overwhelmingly conclude that the pandemic had a natural origin and condemning the suggestion that the virus emerged in a lab as conspiracy theories that put scientists' lives at risk. What the 27 scientists neglect to mention is that their statement was organized by Peter Dazak. Remember, R.F.K. Jr. just mentioned that in the uh, clip I played. A co-author of the letter, who is also the president of the NGO that facilitated U.S. government funding to a lab in Wuhan that the FBI and Department of Energy have concluded is the likely source of the pandemic. While Daszak's Lancet letter resembled a partly savvy and partly clumsy effort at PR-style crisis management, a a paper published in one of the world's most prestigious science journals would be both more significant in its impact and possibly more compromised in its creation. That paper, the aforementioned The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2, published in Nature Medicine, a peer-reviewed and less prestigious sister publication of Nature in March of 2020, was authorized by a distinguished but relatively young evolutionary biologist named Kristen Anderson, along with a number of equally accomplished virologists. The paper is filled with complex analysis of the SARS-CoV-2 genome, but in its short abstract, it stated the upshot in language even a harried consumer journalist could easily grasp. Our analysis clearly shows that the SARS-CoV-2 is not a laboratory construct or a purposely manipulated virus. Putting aside problems with that claim, for example, a wave-making blueprint last year pointed to indications that SARS-CoV-2 was indeed made in the lab. The origins of this paper which became a touchstone for these arguing against the lab leak theory, were deeply unethical. Most of the questions surrounding proximal origin concern a February 1st, 2020 teleconference called by Fauci and joined by his boss, NIH then Director Francis Collins, and other top scientists, including Anderson, and a number of his proximal origin co-authors. So this goes on and on. This is really good. You really should go to, you really should go to Tablet, tabletmag.org.com, tabletmag.com, and read that article about Tony Fauci, titled Treason of the Science Journals, but more of what RFK Jr. was talking about. Fauci was doing this research, Fauci was doing this research for years, for years, doing it. And then this happened, and then this happened, and he knew why it happened. He knew he was responsible for it. That's why he was so upset. That's why he was so concerned. That's why he was so in a rush to squash anyone talking about this coming out of that lab that he was working in. That's why he was so concerned about that more than anything else. Two months before all shit hit the fan in this country. And then knowing his position at NIH... He knew he'd get the bully pulpit to squash all of this. And Trump gave him that bully pulpit. Remember, Donald Trump gave him that bully pulpit. He could be the master of control when it comes to information. Trump gave him that. And that's what Fauci became. The master of the narrative. The master of the propaganda. It's all from him. He used his position there. To cover for himself, to cover his own ass, and to cover for the asses of the other people around him who were part of this research. And that's what happened. And that's why Fauci has to go to jail. He has to go to jail. There has to be prosecution here. I mean, lying in front of Congress is bad enough. Lying in front of Congress is reason enough to go to jail. But when you unleash, when you, when you, when you unleash, here's the, here's the biggest issue. So when you unleash something like this, which kills all these people and then, then you try to cover it up (laughs) instead of coming out and admitting it, right? Coming out and admitting it and saying this was an accident that we didn't want to unleash this, or maybe they did. Who knows? But you come out and you say it was an accident. No, he tried to cover it up. He tried to cover it up. So there's the there's the there's the uh, what do you call it the Nixon cover up aspect of this also. And then he wonders. Well, he doesn't wonder. He knows. He knows why they want to indict him. He knows why he should go to jail. But he also knows the journalists here are morons. Most of them in this country are morons, like Jim Acosta. And he can say something like, "I don't know what they're talking about. They got tinfoil hats. I, don't know. I have no clue." I. And Jim Acosta is not going to ask any follow-ups, not going to talk about any of this stuff, not going to talk about what RFK Jr. spoke about, nothing. He's not going to talk about it. So he knows he can get away with this, but we can't let him get away with it. We can't let him now. We have information. We have the evidence. We have enough of that now where we cannot let him get away with this anymore. No matter how many Jim Acosta's put him on, no matter how many Anderson Cooper's put him on, no matter how many Chris Hayes put him on, no matter how many Rusher Maddow's put him on, in order to try to cover up for his disgusting, disgusting behavior, we can get him and we have to get him. It's very important. This era, this COVID era must end with the prosecution. Of Tony Fauci the prosecution of Tony Fauci for these crimes and others look look with Mr. Murder right they put him in jail for the murder of his wife and his son but look at all the other financial crimes he has they're going to go after well Fauci did plenty in the 80s and 90s when he killed gay men he should be in jail for that but we can we can we can talk about that also but what's happened over the last three years this guy needs to go to jail. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Go right to jail. Okay, what else is there? Is there anything else I want to wrap up on today, wrap up with, or, or not? Um, no, I think I've covered quite a bit. I think I've covered quite a bit. Um, we'll talk more tomorrow. There's just a, a few other things I wanted to talk about, but we'll, we'll – We'll, we'll save it. We'll save it tomorrow. We have the whole week, right? We have the whole week. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's about it. I think that's about it. Um, uh, Scott Weiner, we know about Scott. I've, yeah, I'll talk about Scott Wiener, our, our local um, groomer, state senator here uh, in California, who I despise here in the Bay Area. We'll talk about him. He's... More laws more laws to uh, make his fetishes legal to make his fetishes his own personal sick fetishes into law um, yeah and more about SVB when, when more information comes out and maybe there'll be some maybe there'll be some smart articles written about this that I can share about sVP and and that whole situation and what might uh, come of other banks and the stock market along with that uh, as we go through this weekend into uh, and throughout the month all right yeah was, i guess there's one thing i do want to mention and that's you know the oscars they do the um in memoriam and every year they seem to leave out people now if you're gonna do in memoriam first of all if you're gonna do that i don't particularly like that segment i think it's it's, it's just you know very maudlin and and and, and sad I, I don't think you need to do that but they want to do it Do if you're gonna do it you got to cover everybody how difficult is it? How many people are working on these things? So they left out and they left out recent people. Tom Sizemore they left out. They left out Anne Heche. They left out poor Solvino. How could you leave these people out? And Mira Solvino is very upset that they left out her father, the great actor Paul Sorvino. So if you're going to do it in memoriam, once again, I would just scrap it. And this is more reason to scrap it. But if you're going to do it, at least do it right and cover everybody. It can't be that difficult. Everyone knows who died. It's just sad. And it makes, there are people out there, you know, there are family members like Mira Savina who are very upset at this. And, and they have to. this is much more upsetting than someone not getting an Oscar or getting a snub. This is, if you can do it, do it right. Look, if you can do anything in life, do it right or don't do it at all. All right. I'll end on that note. All right. Okay. That was our Monday show. I want to remind everyone, this podcast is titled, And Let's Be Heard. And it airs weeknights, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern time. So that means I will see you right back here uh, tomorrow night. Thanks for listening, everyone. But until then, until tomorrow night, this is Mike Cachopley reminding you that your influence counts.